What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Produce Row Cafe here in Portland, Oregon. This has become one of my favorite local hangs because they have free music every Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. and Sunday afternoons 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. They are located in inner southeast Portland and not only do they offer free music on their their large patio setup, but they've also got a killer brunch menu from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. The French toast and the breakfast sandwich are lights out. And I can't really do much alcohol personally, but I love their Virgin Bloody Marys. And they've got some other mocktails for folks like me as well. And they're always rotating in new seasonal cocktails. So come through and check out what they've got on deck for fall and winter down there. The patio is now nice, covered, and heated and will be throughout the fall and winter. So come through and big thanks to Produce Row for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. What is good, everybody? Welcome back to another volume of I Dig Records, a Dan Cable Presents podcast coming at you. Once again, if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so, and that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national and international level, helping strangers find the podcast and just a great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing it only takes a few minutes and uh, cannot stress the importance of those itunes reviews 
and appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. If you're not listening on Apple, just hit like, follow, subscribe wherever you are listening from. The podcast is available on Spotify now, and I've also been dropping some monthly playlists there as well. So uh, look for those every first of the month, trying to keep it pretty spread out genre-wise. And the Spotify profile will be in the episode notes, along with the links for the Dan Cable Presents mugs and t-shirts and anything else that is mentioned in the episode. If you're new to the programming here, I Dig Records is a series that is typically co-hosted by my cousin and comes out every other Wednesday in this podcast feed. But as of late, I've been having some some guest co-hosts and for this but as of late I've been having some guest co-hosts. But as of late I've been having some guest co-hosts for this thing to shake things up and for this particular volume I've got singer-songwriter Andy Sado on the podcast. He is based out of Denver, Colorado and a dude that I have gotten to know over the last 4 years or so. He uh, is a friend of my buddy Andrew Harrison, who is a previous guest co-host, we did the the Pine Grove album not too long ago, but he's an old childhood friend of Andrew, and uh, that is how I linked up with Andy, and it's been great to get to know Andy over the years and see how he has progressed as a, a songwriter and a producer himself. I got to see him a couple months ago and have lunch with him while I was in Denver and I mentioned to him that I was doing this series and I thought that he would be a cool co-host for the thing so when I asked him to throw some records at me this Randy Newman record good old boys from 1974 was a part of the bunch and uh, was the one that stuck out to me the most initially so that was the one that I chose to go with for for this one and it brought about some really interesting conversations about Randy Newman and the way he writes music and and the satirical nature that is often woven through a lot of his songwriting and and his uh his narratives or rather the the narratives of characters that he creates through his music was uh kind of a trip to to learn about and and kind of magnify a little bit more. I think I appreciate the boldness of of putting a record out like this especially for the time period of 1974. It's uh it's very politically driven and and points out a lot of uh a lot of things going on in the the country at that time and particularly taking the uh the role of this this southerner and we talk about it pretty in depth but randy writes songs very much as a filmmaker similar to a a dude like quentin tarantino or sometimes his his tunes can feel like they are some sort of coen brothers production at times and and just their way of uh kind of depicting these uh these multi-layered characters and we break a lot down in this record in regards to uh, the social commentary 
within the lyrics and and whatnot and uh i know that that randy newman was always kind of in hopes that the people he was attracting to his shows would would always understand that satire especially if they were spending the money on tickets to to come see him but i know that he also learned that not everyone would interpret it the way that he would have liked and and kind of uh had to dial things back at times i guess and and kind of learn things through the live show and the responses to those songs that he was writing i don't know i think it's been important for me the last five years or so to really think about kind of my speech and my actions i guess and and be mindful of the the world outside of myself and and to not always be super rooted or or stuck on ideas or the use of words particularly i guess because it feels pretty easy for me to move on from them especially because most of these words play no importance to my life and i don't feel like something is being taken away from me by not being able to use those words and in the argument that we're losing some sort of free speech in that way just kind of feels whiny and pretty privileged to me and choosing to eliminate certain words from your vocabulary that will probably have like such little impact on how you operate as a person can have a significant impact or just make things easier or better for others just seems like uh where I want my mindset to be. And I certainly believe that we need to have empathy for people on both sides of the fence and for folks that are maybe just blind to the times or didn't know that they're, they were doing something wrong in their actions. But I don't necessarily think that same empathy needs to be shown for those who are blatant in their, their racism or their hate or just ill will for particular groups of people that are is really targeted those seem to be the the people that i don't want to give too much of my energy or attention to but uh i thought it was it was cool that this particular record provoked so much conversation between andy and i and uh i'm appreciative of of andy for bringing this record into the into the conversation and just really enjoyed this conversation with him and getting to hear his takes on things as well as getting to hear what an impact Randy Newman has had on his songwriting and and the music that he produces and wants to make. If you're new to the podcast, stay tuned every Friday for the regular episodes of Dan Cable Presents, which is usually myself in conversation with a different music artist or band covering all genres of music. Last week, I had Michigander on the podcast. That was such a cool conversation with Jason Singer. That dude was so rad to chat with. He was so kind, and I've just been geeking out on those Michigander tunes and so many great guests as of late. It's been uh, it's been very cool reflecting on the roster so stay tuned this friday for my chat with alex smith from the band college level out of boise idaho that will be the last of the episodes to be released that were recorded at the tree fort music festival out there in boise so pumped to 
get that one out and all the links will be in the episode notes for you to keep up with Andy Sado, my guest co-host of volume 29 of iDig Records as well as the email for the show and, and all the contacts for myself. Appreciate you tuning in. Hope you all have or had a great Thanksgiving and got to hang with uh, good friends and family and uh, we are going to get into this thing. This is Andy Sado and myself talking about Randy Newman's 1974 album, Good Old Boys. Let's do the damn thing. I just want everybody to know that I dig records. I dig records, bro. This is a strange album. I love that we're doing this. Records. All right, Andy Sado, you ready? Uh, you ready to do the thing? I'm ready. Welcome to uh, to I Dig Records. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I dig records. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Stoked to stoked to have you guest hosting this thing. I I thought it would be interesting to hear what what records maybe have have influenced you over time as as a songwriter and and now as you you dive even deeper into the producer land of things so uh i was i was stoked on the the group of of records that you sent i thought it was i thought it was interesting some of the some of the albums that you you threw my way were uh not exactly records maybe like the most iconic records in people's catalogs, especially with some of the, the dudes that have been doing it a long time. You, you pick some of the ones that were like in the middle of the catalog or even with the Dawes record, you pick like the most recent Dawes album. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, I, I get all the Dawes records, but I, you know, I've been geeking out on the most recent one. And the thing was with the records I sent and I, and I, I don't, I have a lot, you know, like I don't really listen to a whole lot of the, like the legendary records, you know, I mean, I kind of dig a little bit. Um, of course I have, uh, you know, Graceland and Rumors, but um, the those other records I picked, like, you know, the Dawes record would have been more like diving into production. With this record, I think it's diving into, you know, the social connection with it or the social relevance um, in the time period and sort of the uniqueness of Randy Newman, because I don't know, like I run every morning, but I don't listen to Randy Newman when I'm running. <laughs> I don't sing along with this album. You know, it's not like I'm cleaning Sunday afternoon. Let's put on good old boys. Like it's not that kind of an album, but it's still, I think a very important one in my collection. Yeah, dude, I'm not, you know, I know Randy Newman from his hits. You know, you got a friend yeah. in me. The Toy Story Jam is is something you know that yeah. everybody knows and can kind of connect with. And they used to, growing up outside of LA, I used to go to a, a lot of LA Kings hockey games. And I Love LA would always get played a lot. It used to be like the Kings goal song, which was awesome. They would score a goal, and then the whole crowd just like singing along. I love LA. You love it. <laughs> you know, it's fucking awesome 
Good Old Boys was not something I really knew about this album from 1974. And I kind of just wanted to do the Randy Newman album, just even seeing the list of records he picked, just because I know that he's a pretty legendary songwriter and and just so well respected in so many different realms of, uh, of things. So I, I want, I leaned that way before even really going through the record. And then I started actually listening to the lyrics and I was like, Whoa, this is, uh, this is some very interesting commentary, especially for 1974 but seeing how it now relates to our current times and the kind of the division of the country and the hypocrisy that, uh, you know, is, is kind of rooted in, in a lot of different things and especially politics at this time. So, uh, um, yeah. yeah, there's, there's some very interesting subject matter with this record. So I think, uh, that's kind of, uh, a fun part of, this this album and and what will be this this conversation in some ways i think yeah Um, what what is your introduction to this album and what kind of context if any was given to you in listening to it you know i've been a randy i mean i started on randy newman the same way everyone else did right like toy story um, but then, like, as a kid, I would hear soundtracks, you know, Monsters, Inc., you know, whatever, and be like, oh, my gosh, so that's Randy Newman. And I I loved his composing style. I loved his music. I love orchestral music, um, you know, and and so I've always loved that. And then I've always been a piano player, um, I mean, and a guitar player, but piano is my, my primary instrument. My, right. It's my best instrument. And it just, there's not, like, a ton of piano playing singer-songwriters who write really good lyrics um, the way there are guitar players. It's a little bit more, you got to dig into like the Warren Zevon catalog or the, you know, everyone talks about Billy Joel and Elton John and, and now Ben Folds and they're all great. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a different world. So I sort of, uh, you know, latched onto him because of that and then heard songs like Louisiana 1927 that's on this record and Dixie Flyer. And heard other people covering his songs all the time. And I thought, man, this is a really special songwriter. And then just the way he writes, um, where he always is in character. He's always yeah, in character. Right. Um, is something that I absolutely adore about him because it's something that most songwriters, I don't, I don't even think they have the ability to visit that world in the way that he does. And he lives there. Um, yeah. so I, as, as I started digging into Randy Newman, I started reading about all his records, read his biography and just was listening to random stuff. I'd get my hands on records at the record store and good old boys was one that I heard about, um, because he started writing all these songs about a, a, a you know, a Southern guy and it, it ended up, the, the, the record ended up being a little different. It's supposed to depict this, this man, Johnny Cutler. This this yes. southerner this this everyman from this time period which yeah I think I think it's important to know that you know like you're talking about is like this is all very like character driven and yes Randy is not necessarily the narrator you know this isn't I mean he he's delivering the message but 
He's yeah. uh, but he's delivering a message, all right. Yeah, and it's there's there's a lot of satire. Like he's he's kind of the king of satire in in a way of of writing these types of things and exploring social constructs in this way. And yep. um, we won't even we won't even play the first track on the album, which is called Rednecks, just because Randy yeah. no longer plays this song. Um, just because I, I, from what I gathered listening to interviews with him and and I tried to do like a lot of digging just on this particular album, just so I could like further wrap my head around it. Cause this is obviously like a pretty, uh, I don't know. This is like a time when a lot of, a lot of light is being shined on, on the oppressed and, and for good reason in this country. And I think like you know, as the internet becomes bigger, we're obviously like more, more information is readily available to people and, and makes people more upset because you're, you're finding out just like all of the underlying like racism and oppression that has existed in the country from kind of the get go. And, uh, Randy just kind of has, has broken it down since the beginning of his songwriting. And he's, done it in a way where he has has not been afraid to use certain language and and slurs even you know for uh especially yeah. in the early part of his career but i know he is like he's not stoked at this point about singing the n-word eight times no no he's he's not in and this you know rednecks the leadoff track has the n-word I, I don't know seven eight times whatever it is and and uh, like you were saying it started off you know the working title was johnny cutler's birthday um but a, a day in the life of a redneck and it, it turned into good old boys and didn't all end up being about johnny cutler but um yeah in that first song he goes right at it it's not the first time um he's done he's done something like that i in his his record that came out, uh, I believe in 1972, right before good old boys was sail away. And the title track has a lyric, um, ain't no lion or tiger, ain't no mamba snake, just the sweet watermelon and the buckwheat cake. Everybody is as happy as a man can be. Climb aboard little wog sail away with me. Um, wog is a a term used for dark skinned people in the UK. It, It kind of, kind of like the N word. Um, and Bobby Darren, uh, it was a, a pop artist at the time, did his own version of the song and uh, changed the word wog to one, climb aboard little one, sail away with me, uh, making, you know, the trip uh, a happy thing instead of, I don't know, he kind of totally changed the meaning of the of the song with the one word. But he's never been afraid to um, take on a character. And I, I appreciate that about Randy. And I think it comes from, the fact that he's a film composer and his whole family's film composers. His uncle was a very famous film composer, Alfred. Um, so taking on a role has never been something unfamiliar to Randy. You know, he had to write a song about Buzz Lightyear thinking he could fly and jumping off a second story staircase. Right. That's not a normal songwriter. Um, and I don't know, that's that's part of the his magic and it's also part of what's gotten him in trouble over the years. Yeah. But you know what? Also, like, from what I know about Randy Newman, and obviously, like, didn't I didn't spend an insane amount of time reading his biography or anything like that, but Randy Newman's not some 
from what I can see and like from what I know, Randy Newman's not necessarily like this controversial character who is on the wrong side of history often. So it's like he's not doing this to be shocking. It's it's more of like he's he's doing this to to bring awareness about these issues and also just to you know there's like these characters often depict different aspects of American culture and, and some of those are awful and some are good and some are good in their intentions, but are not exceptional in their execution. You know, like that first track talks, like there's a lot of talk in on this record, right. Of like dumb Southerners and how the rest of the country just thinks that the South is, is dumb and and all the self-righteousness of you know being being on the right side of things and he's uh which which i think is also cool because like i got to imagine even at this point being from somewhere in that region it's got to get old even if you are like some progressive type or you know someone that leans to the left and you grow up in these areas it's got to get old kind of like Oh, you're like just being discounted because you're you're from a certain area and just assuming that you're an idiot who who's like about the Confederacy or some shit like that, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. The stereotype gets old. But and also, I mean, this this was recorded in 1974, but also but even still today, the stereotype isn't always um, always wrong. I'd like to think we're probably a lot more progressive as a as a people than we were in in the 70s but um you know in and randy you know even said uh in an interview with billboard when the album came out like hey there's some things that southern that uh, uh, southern people do really well you know i mean the the civility and the taking you in or what whatever they're they're gonna help you out on the side of the road if you have a flat tire but there's a few things um that uh that they don't do so well yeah, and it, and he came out and straight straight up said he goes you know blacks Jews I mean he just said it just like that right and right. Um, and he went after it so so this first song rednecks which yeah we definitely won't play because um, uh, he uses the n word but do you, do you know the story uh, of the song? Uh, I mean, yeah, like I somewhat understand like that dude's appearance on the Dick Cavett show, right? Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, Lester Maddox, and, it, and if you haven't seen, uh, it's up on YouTube. You can watch the cool. entire I'll, Dick Cavett episode. I'll pipe it into the the conversation somewhere. Yeah, it's it's incredible, uh, just kind of how crazy it is. And it's Lester Maddox, and um, and, and Jim Brown, who's um, you know black football player and actor, and so they're sitting right next to each other on the show. Lester Maddox uh, was a politician. He was the 75th governor of Georgia from 67 to 71. He appeared on the Dick Cavett show in uh, December of 1970, I believe. And he kind of, he was, he was this horrifying character when he got elected in 67 because before that he owned a place called the Pick Rick. And it was a food place and he didn't let black people um, eat there. And he would have them thrown out even though uh, a law had been passed no longer allowing that. Um, but he said, hey, I'm gonna, I would rather shut my doors than let black people eat at my establishment, and that's uh, ultimately what happened. But then he started running for public office, and it was kind of a joke. 
like, oh, yeah, like this guy, of course, he's not going to, you know. Um, and then eventually he, he did uh, get elected to an office. And with just these, I, I don't know, very crazy radical views, saying whatever he wanted, um, it, it actually not unlike something that happened recently in American history. Um, but, uh, you know, so he gets invited on the Dick Cavett show um, and Jim Brown's on the show as well. And it turns into a circus because it's well documented the things that Dick Cavett's done and and how he's, you know, he's uh, a segregationist. And he defines that as someone who's who's just proud of being who they are. He goes, I'm just proud of being white and I want to sustain those values. And and um, and finally, Jim, and, and he just talks, he's just talking and talking. And finally, uh, Jim Brown pipes in and he says, well, um, have you disappointed any of your bigot supporters? Because you've done so much for black people. And it was a perfectly timed question. And uh, Lester Maddox having really nothing good to say to this, um, you know, tries tries to bounce it off, eventually um, leaves the show and tries to get uh, Dick Cavett to apologize to him. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's just kind of this this crazy wild circus. And you wonder how he was even allowed on the show. You wonder what Jimmy Kimmel would have done with him in 2021 on his show. And then, and then you think, uh, Oh my gosh. And also you think about the fact that Randy Newman was watching that episode. And uh, it triggered some inspiration. The governor's mansion and the governor's office than all the other 50 governor's, offices in the United States, even at this time. Yeah, I hear the door is always open, which is rare in today's politics, and you do have people... Well, we try to run the governor's office like you run your own business, your own home. Mm -hmm. Did you have any problems from the bigots in the South? Have any problems with us? From the white bigots, because you did so much for the black man. (laughs) What do you mean, uh, which white bigots? The black ones and white ones I have trouble with from time to time. No, I said white bigots. I have the black uh, races and the white races that create some problems. Did you have any problems from the white races because you did so much for the black people? Uh, Mr. Brown asked you, Governor uh, Maddox, if you'd had any trouble from your white uh, admirers for the fact that you have done He didn't say admirers, sir. No, he said bigots. Well, why didn't you say it like he said? (laughs) You you have me there. Why why didn't you say it? Now, see that what I'm talking about, Dick? I I do see it, You take words and twist them around and you mislead the people in the audience and all. You ought to start being honest, all of you, with your words and what you're saying to people. You uh, said admirers and he said bigots. A lot of difference, isn't there? Yes, I feel like a bigger why you, person. Why do you now. want to mislead the people like that? <laughs> I, didn't mean, I didn't mean to mislead the people. It is a good question, though, isn't it? Uh, well, it, it, uh, it's, a, it's a good question, but for you to come back and call bigots my admirers is a farce. It's an it's a act of hypocrisy. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a terrible way to treat a guest on your show, and you know it. Uh-huh. You know he's right about that. Why don't you apologize? Why don't you apologize to the people well, for calling people that are my admirers bigots? Now wait a minute, I'll take you half seriously on this. We got over four million people in Georgia that are, are my friends, and I call admirers, and you calling them all bigots? No, I'm not. Now you apologize to them. No, I won't. All right. <laughs> uh, oh no, don't please, please. No. You better apologize. No. Uh, sit down. I'll explain it. <laughs> Let me see. The other thing that I, I thought was interesting was just uh, just kind of learning what like some of Randy's 
kind of motivation behind how he presented some of these arrangements and some of these songs. Like when you talk about rednecks, it, it was supposed to like that, that song, even though it's lyrical content is, is super heavy. It's, uh, it, it can be very easy to sing along with. And, and so many of the songs on the record can be that way. Right. So, and I, I just in reading how he, did that with purpose just to represent how insidious racism can be and just like how quickly you can be singing along with this song or like how quickly you could be participating in a system that supports racism even if you don't really ident- like think that you personally are racist or like even yeah. understanding all of the the gears at work yes so yeah uh, yeah it was it was uh it was interesting to see like him depicting how easy it is to get indoctrinated, you know, into this this ideas these ideas and like this ideology. But then like the flip side of it is it's like how much empathy do you want to extend to like these people, you know, to leave for these folks who's like moral compass maybe didn't like really stand a chance from the get-go because this is just like how they were raised yeah yeah absolutely uh how they were raised and you brought up a really interesting point that i've thought a lot about with this record is that it's really easy to sing along um i mean there's you know the melodies you find yourself humming the tunes and i wonder if i mean obviously it's a song right it's not a movie Um, but the reason why it's controversial, um, I don't know if it would be if it was a movie, right? You would just say, oh, like Randy Newman wrote this movie about Southern people, not about, not a country record, but the people who listen to it, you know, and, (laughs) you know, and, and, and I, and, and attacks them. And I, you know, I don't mean to offend anybody by saying that, but, um, but it's not a movie. It's not uh, something that I mean. It's it, he wrote melodies and sang them with purpose and character, and, yeah. and that's I think what makes it um, controversial to a lot of folks. Yeah, I'll put it in the links in the episode notes. But there's a couple really cool articles about this particular <laughs> album and like Randy Newman as a whole. One of them is a pitchfork album, a pitchfork review of this record from 2016. And they pitchfork gave this album a 9.3, I think, which is just crazy high for, for pitchfork standards. So that's from 2016. But then there's this LA times article from 1991, which is very cool to kind of like read through now and see how it holds up over time. But he, uh, it says, uh, Newman gives Newman gives these people a strong characterizations and lets them state their case vividly. Racism isn't trivial, so why should racists be characterized that way? And I thought that that was like a very cool point, but also it's like where is the line now? Like obviously Randy Newman knows that like the N-word it should no longer be in play and maybe maybe he shouldn't have used it from the get-go like even though it was 1974 like i understand like the impact he was but like does it have the same impact without it it's like bob dylan says the n-word in hurricane you know that track yes so like that's a pretty 
famous moment where where Dylan used the N word, but like he wouldn't do that now, even if he was trying to hammer home that same point. I don't think necessarily. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's like, right. And I kind of like it's it's interesting. It brings up interesting conversation in that way, you know, of like what you're talking about, like if Randy Newman was writing a movie and depicting the people in this way or like Tarantino is a dude that's uh, pretty known for de- depicting black culture. So like the N word gets thrown around a lot in those movies. And it's like, should this dude be writing this stuff and wh- and whatnot? And I kind of like, yeah. I understand. I, I guess I see both sides of the coin in some way, you know, because I think it's like important to tell these stories, but I also understand the sensitivity towards the situation at this point, just because of all of like the deeply rooted racism and the fucked up <laughs> system that yeah. has existed. And like, what, like, what are we doing by giving these things voices? And like Randy Newman's argument seems to be like, Hey, the audience that is paying enough money to come see me understands the message that I was trying to communicate. They understand that this wasn't like to support the use of the N word and like that. I, you know, like want the South to rise again or really like necessarily even identify with these people. I'm just trying to like point out the hypocrisy of the whole thing. Cause while, you know, the left is bitching about the the rise of the south they're like doing their own segregation in some ways in cities it's just like it's not as clear at that that point and he kind of like touches upon that in in rednecks as well of just like talking about the people being uh in cages but they're just in different cities yeah you're you know? well and that's in that song you're free to be in a uh, in a cage and uh, what was it somewhere in Massachusetts even like even in the north right which right he put he put uh you know he put this group of people in a cage all over the country yeah you know I, I mean and and I think he really represented something with that and I, I mean I would tend to say that Randy Newman was woke 40 years before it was used as a term yeah however yeah. however um he stopped singing um, he stopped singing the song and I'm trying to remember the exact story, but it was something along the lines of he was singing it in the South and when he would get to the N word, everybody would stand up and scream it. And it was almost, uh, like it was viewed as, well, Hey, Randy Newman's using it in his song. I'm just singing the song, man. I'm right, just singing right. the song. And so it, it was an excuse, uh, to use that word yeah. which was not the intended meaning at all you know for, for for that word but should should never be used anyway and uh, he got a, a letter from um, a black fan who said hey this made me extremely uncomfortable like i'm a huge fan of your work you know i i know what you're trying to do with the album but having all these people stand up and yell the n-word seven or eight times in this three minute period and and proudly and pointing fingers i mean they right. just I, I didn't like it, you know, it made me feel uncomfortable. And of course it did. And I don't think that occurred to him before he put out the record. And when he saw that, he very quickly said, oh, okay. So, and I think even before he got the letter, he saw the audience do it, went, yeah. wait a minute. That's not, that's not what, what this is supposed to be. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of a, the the Dave Chappelle effect of far as far as like why Dave Chappelle walked away from Chappelle's show because he felt like 
the wrong people were laughing at the jokes or like the jokes were being laughed at from the wrong perspective, like in support of like these stereotypes or like, you know, so it's, uh, it's cool that he was able to like recognize that and not be some asshole that like, like stood on that hill to be like, no, I'm going to keep saying this. And like, cause again, I think that's, that's where like the problem derives of like, you hope that your audience is going to get it and they most likely will, but that's your echo chamber. So like, yep how it's perceived and how it's misconstrued and and interpreted in other ways. It's like the fucking, it's like the assholes that uh, started using rage against the machine at like the Republican party gatherings or whatever. And it's just like, Hey dummies, what machine do you think that rage was raging against? Like what, like what did you think this music was about? And like now you're using it. In in a in a very fucked up backwards way, so it's uh it's cool, man. Like I'm glad you picked this record because it just like gave me a lot to think about. At first, I was very like pushed off from it, but I all again knew that like I know that Randy yeah. Newman is not like some person that's demonized by the music community, right. and so I it was very interesting to just to like learn more but also like understand like hey there's there's like a lot of trauma built into folks lives and entire like family dna because of all of the injustices of these things so i understand like why it might hit in the wrong way for certain people and like yeah just so much bullshit has been like swept under the rug and like i feel like disguised in other ways so it's uh it's just a it's a trip to listen to it and it's a trip like of a of a snapshot in time and i think i've i've talked about this with other records and just on this podcast at other times is it's very wild to just know that all of these things all of this like music that comes from like the revolution times of like the 60s and 70s all of those topics are completely relevant today and have not like gone away. They just look right. a little different. And I think that part is crazy and just, you know, obviously speaks to history repeating itself. And, but also it, I, to me, it represents like progress in some way like that. It's not, yeah. it's not cool to just like drop the N word eight times anymore in the song just right. cause you were like trying to prove a point or something. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, and Randy's aware of that too, right? Yeah. yeah. He's always been, you know, that's, that's, that's the cool thing. Um, yeah. but you know, if, once we get past the first song, uh, I, I think Johnny Cutler sort of comes to life a little bit in the second song. And I know that it kind of, you know, it started with songs about this fictional character and, and ended up into this, into the good old boys album. But, um, I think Birmingham has a much different meaning if it's not placed where it is, it comes right after rednecks. And I think, you know, maybe, uh, Johnny Cutler was watching the Dick Cavett show 
and then and now he's telling you about himself in the second song. Yeah. You know, and he's prideful for his home. Got a wife, got a family. Earn my living with my hand. Rolling is still downtown Birmingham. My daddy was a barber. I think that there's plenty of people that are prideful about where they come from for for good reason. You know, you can like you really. It's it's so crazy how different the United States is regionally, right? And and you probably know this from touring. And until you actually go somewhere and experience something. It um, your your perception of, of places is is often very like misconstrued and very misguided by I guess like what you've seen in movies and TV and things of that nature. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. You go. I mean, I did dr- drove through the Midwest this summer, and it's it's just funny. You could drive through different cultures in one day. You know, you wake up in St. Louis, drive to Nashville. Wake up in Nashville, drive to Cincinnati. And uh, you know, and see and, and see wonderful things about these different places. I'm not saying that in a in a bad way at all, but you just, um, yeah, you see it. It's not it's not Denver. Yeah, you know, I, and yeah. <laughs> it's different. Yeah, driving through the South and like seeing how like beautiful areas of it are, and and just that that Southern hospitality often does exist. You know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I I think it would take a while to get helped out if I got helped out at all if I like had a flat tire uh, in Denver. Yeah, or on the side of the freeway in Los Angeles. Right, 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 right. (laughs) Uh, uh, I'm not stopping for you, Andy. I'm not stopping for you on the 405. (laughs) No, no, me neither. As far as like just the tunes on the on like outside of lyrical content. Is there is Randy Newman and like this style of songwriting that's just like really impacted the way that you want to play piano and the way that you want to compose tunes? Because I like to me the big takeaway musically from the whole thing is that there like there's this consistent, undeniable feel through each track in the playing, like just the way he approaches his his touch on the keys is just so fucking it's butter. Like it's just so smooth. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm so conflicted cause I, I've, I always used to do all my writing on guitar, even though I'm a better piano player and it started where I'm kind of doing maybe 50, 50 now guitar and piano writing. Sometimes I go through phases where I'm just writing on piano, but when I write on guitar, I mean, it's often that I feel like I take on another personality, right? Like another artist that I respect. So for guitar for a lot of years, that was Andrews Osborne, right? I was always kind of like, as I was writing songs, I was in in a weird way putting myself in his shoes, being my own person, but but just knew so much about his music and, and Jackie Green and some other people where I felt like I was kind of, it, it took some of their style on as a part of my style then when I was writing on piano, and I still feel this way, Randy Newman is sort of that 
personality that I take on and my chord progressions on the piano are far more interesting than the guitar most of the time. And, uh, and I just go to these different places that I don't go on guitar. And I don't think that one's better than the other, but they're different. And I realize it's because like I'm channeling writing as a piano player. I'm channeling mm. Randy Newman a little bit, you know, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not that good. Of course, I'm not Randy Newman, but, but that influence is, is in there. And my most interesting songs and in-depth songs in a way have been piano songs because thinking musically and lyrically a little bit differently has done, I think has been really great. Um, great for me. It doesn't always just end up being a love song, you know, it's, uh, takes on content. And, uh, you spoke at the beginning and we've, we've talked a lot during this conversation already just about, you know, a lot of his material as far as lyrics is character driven. Is that something that has always been a part of your writing as well? Or is that something that you struggle to write outside of your own experience or trying to really like represent someone else's experience through your your tunes that's a great question um so i think i'm starting to write more and more outside of myself and being in other characters because it entertains me um but i i mean it used to be that everything was autobiographical to an extent you know but i i've now i'll take on um a different character or you know or an object or whatever so I think I've been doing more and more of that as I've gotten older. Not that I don't still appreciate like the I Love You song, and I still write plenty of them, but there's a part of me that wants to go somewhere different and explore somewhere different, and I think, um, you know, sometimes that can be being a different person. Yeah. Is it... Do you think it's more difficult to tap into something like that? Or is it nice because you are just like going off of imagination at that point well uh, i it's it, it yes and no i mean it's more difficult than the fact that you have to use your imagination but also you get to use your imagination not that you don't with an autobiographical song but with an autobiographical song a lot of times the information is there right um, and with something else you know there might you might be looking into things doing a little research or um, thinking, well, how would I really feel if I was, um, if I was this person? Are you, are you like very influenced by if you're watching a movie or a TV show or something? Is that often maybe something that you will take subject matter of like, oh, this is an interesting situation. Can I, uh, can I grab something from this? That's been a new thing for me. Um, yeah, I've actually, it's been a new thing, but yes, yes, I'm trying to do that kind of thing because, because it's fun. Like I, I haven't written a song about this, but I'm watching lost right now for the first time. I'm like, oh, why, ca- why can't I be this character if I've I'm going to write a song? It. I haven't, but I, I, um, I've started doing some of that, that kind of stuff from stuff that I, I see and watch and try to take on a different perspective. Yeah. And I know you've been kind of, uh, You've been doing like a lot of producing and leaning into that role. So do you feel like you're also just like listening to records differently or through a different lens now that you're doing more of that work and 
maybe not listening just as a songwriter, but just thinking about things a little differently? Yeah, because I did always listen as just a songwriter for a long time, right? Or or that sounds cool, but I don't care why. Mm. Um, and then now listening to records um, and saying, well, what did they do there musically and why did they do that? What was that instrument? What was that instrument he used there? Or what was that effect? Um, that stuff's all... Um, that stuff's all really fascinating to me. And to hear a band like Dawes who uh, remove the band and just have like Taylor and his acoustic guitar is like a folk singer. Mm. And then you add this this element of production and effects and it becomes something completely different and really magical and it pushes the envelope forward. Yeah, man. Yeah, I would imagine that just like makes you write songs differently too. And it all just kind of like informs... I've I've had a couple times now where I've written a song on on Logic instead of like it's always guitar and piano. I'm an instrument ah, guy. I'm not an, I'm not like a computer guy. I'm an instrument guy. I write arrangements. Like that's my thing. But I've had a couple songs where I have gone straight to Logic and like you know either mouth the drum part and just and put that in there and then just start putting things on top of it or whatever uh and it it just is a totally different thing it puts me out of my comfort zone in the end product is much much different than something i would write just sitting on the guitar or piano yeah man well in regards to this record you got lenny warrenker who produced yeah. like a lot of like rye rye cooter and like gordon light lightfoot almost all the randy newman records yes, are produced yeah, by this they dude together a ton and then working with Lenny was Russ Tidelman, it looks like. Mm -hmm. And he also yeah. did a lot of the the Randy records and that Rye Cooter and James Taylor. So this thing sounds amazing, especially the remastered version <laughs> is what I've been listening to a lot of, I guess, on on Spotify or Apple and Yeah, it just it just sounds huge. Like the the keys are just the keys and the strings. Yeah. On this whole yes. album. When I, I've got my copy here, by the way. Oh, nice. <laughs> but yeah, the keys and the strings. And uh, it's one of my favorite things about the album is it's very Randy. I mean, it's him and a piano. I mean, to, him and a piano. And you can hear the orchestration just by how he plays piano, even if it wasn't there. But it is. And it's not a symphony. But there's these string parts. There's these wind parts. Um, the production... The production is all is almost on the instruments, with the with the exception of um, Naked Man. Um, it's all it's all just piano. Then there's some drums in the background on a lot of these songs, and and strings and winds. I mean, it's very uh, it's very him, I guess. Yeah, I don't know, man. Just the way he gets the music to move in his rhythm on the keys, especially like with Naked Man. Old lady lost in the city Middle of a cold, cold night It's 14 below and the wind started to blow There wasn't a boy scout in So Naked Man, um, which I don't even know where he, how he wrote this song because the subject matter is so bizarre But um, they use like a little echo on his, on his voice But that little instrument ba, 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 ba. I don't know if I'm singing that in the right key but uh, they call it Tonto 
the original new timbral orchestra as a synth, and Stevie Wonder used that very synth on like his previous three albums, and uh, they all did very well, of course, because you know, Stevie Wonder, and so Randy used that synth on this song. So many people, like you said, have covered Randy Newman tunes, but the effect is just not the same as when Randy sings it. With and it's just kind of that that croaking that will sometimes happen in his voice. You know, it's all people with a lot better voices cover him, right? But, but all not. feel with this dude. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and just his his delivery, like he's. It seems like. You know, like it's like he understands the limitations of his voice and realizes that he doesn't necessarily need to be like the flashiest dude. Absolutely. Well, he does. He's completely himself. Even though he takes on a different character in almost every song he's ever written, he's completely himself. Right. That's and that's like very impressive to be able to just do it with that much conviction I guess and and you know like you said he grew up like just kind of around film and stuff and, and he just makes himself a part of the story I guess and just really seems to to lean into like whatever that character is and that's why you probably get something like you've got a friend in me and this thing that seems like there's this universal connection between all kinds of different people that love that song and cannot um, refrain from feeling something while listening to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's fucking like Rolling Away is, uh, or is it, it's Rolling. Rolling, yep. That's the last track on the album. Like this song is just. The, the touch on the keys thing but it's just it seems like he's able through through the music to like represent like this despair through the piano playing but they also usually return with a bunch of relief and hope somewhere in in the in the same song like every song is kind of like that with Randy Newman or at least with this particular group of songs something a theme i've noticed with him in a lot of his music throughout the years is that his piano and his vocal line follow each other um you know there's songs where you'll hear uh yeah the the prime example i'm thinking of is the uh, the toy story where when she loved me where uh 
uh, Woody's female friend, what's her name, gets left oh. on the side of the road in Toy Story 2. And that whole song, he has lots of songs like this, but this is just one on top of my head. His piano and his voice are playing, are both doing the melody. And you wonder which one's following which. Mm. Did he come up with this vocal line and follow it? with his piano and that's how he came up with this incredible piano part in chord structure or was it the other way around but I think he accomplishes a lot of what you're saying through um, it's it, he's not like I'm gonna play a G and a D and a C and sing, sing some lyrics over it it's not like that yeah he's he is one body one thing and he's and he's playing it together it's it's almost like it's not piano and vocals it's just him and, and and he uses these two different platform. He uses these two different devices to make his music. Yeah. When somebody loved me, <laughs> everything was beautiful. If it, it, I don't know, it just seems like it, he leaves so much space too, like in the yeah. tracks. You know, it's never, it's never too busy, and the length of the songs is really appreciated. Mm-hmm. I think you know it's it's uh it delivers the message and then it gets out like there's not it's not usually some grand break in the tune that extends out to five minutes you know yeah yeah it's like right. here's right, right, here's right. the he story <laughs> and uh, he's all about on to the, the next one what are what are like some standout tracks for you on this album so. First listen, Louisiana 1927. And it's been done by Aaron Neville. and It's been done by tons of people. And it's about, um, y- you know, it's about a, the flood that happened in 1927. And it was, a, I think, a very, very big thing uh, at the time. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. And that arrangement da, 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 at the beginning is amazing. Um, so that song is just gut-wrenchingly beautiful. That time wash us away. That time wash us away. Louisiana. Louisiana. That time wash us away. That time wash us away. I feel like you can, like, this music could just be a musical or a Broadway play, and you wouldn't need any dialogue. Like, you would just be able to figure out how to represent things visually while this is being played. Can you imagine if they made a Broadway play in 2022? where they sang all of these songs in a musical. I mean, there would there would be a lot of controversy, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Yeah, I'm not sure that that would be the move to go front to back on no. this uh particular one, no. but just speaking no. to like his ability to like paint a picture is uh mm-hmm. it's pretty incredible. It he paints a picture so well, uh, you know, if we like going Marie, which is the third track. Oh man. That's that okay so that song i believe is one of the very few that he's ever written that was about someone it was about someone he actually did love 
But I think in this context, I I believe it's Johnny Cutler's wife, or that's how I'm. Hmm. That's what I'm getting yeah. from it. And he's he's drunk, but he loves her. But he's got issues, and it's sort of it's interesting how he writes the song. It's so somber, and I can picture myself in his shoes, sitting there watching my wife sleep, but feeling like total shit about myself. Like I'm useless and I'm nothing. Oh, man. And I might treat her like crap tomorrow. I might hit her tomorrow, right? But right now I'm watching her sleep and she's beautiful. I wouldn't, but the character. Might. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just an interesting, uh, it's an interesting take. And from those three songs, I feel like I know this character, um, for better or worse, most you know, but I know this character. I, you know, I'm, I've, I, you hear these three songs and you know a lot. He's developed a story, not just in one song, but he's developing a character, like yeah. like a like a play, like a movie, like you're saying. With your hair apart, I will never forget. I'm drunk right now, baby. But I've got to be I never could tell you What you mean to me I loved you the first time Yeah, for sure. He's, again, like, just showing that awful people with, like, you know, ideologies that aren't super super well respected is uh, that these people also have depth and, and layers to them just because yep. you know just because you don't agree with somebody doesn't mean that they don't have like a full range of emotions in some way and but also yeah you know understanding how you can like just feel like a real piece of shit <laughs> you know and, yeah. and also like love this person so much like you're like you're saying and as far I don't know I think you can feel it in the track that he's really in love on this track like you're saying you know there's not like often where he was writing from this perspective of really being in love but you can you can feel the heart in this one and yeah those string lines yeah oh uh, this song is yeah Marie is uh, yeah, every time, like I always just start singing it. It's uh, yeah, they're they're all. Like I said, I would never listen to this while running. It's not Sunday afternoon cleaning music either, but it's no. they're special. They're special songs. You know, something else that gets me on on this record that I think about in terms of when it was recorded, uh, you know, came out in 1974, um, he, there's a lot of, there's politicians. I mean, Lester Maddox and Rednecks pops up right away. Um, Mr. President, have pity on the working man, Mm. which, um, which has to do with Nixon resigning, um, 
And then you've got uh, track seven and eight is Every Man a King and Kingfish. Dude, um, we gotta we gotta talk about Every Man a King. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, well, in in the fact that they're in this order next to each other, they have to be. They have to be. You couldn't. Every Man a King is not a single. Um, but Kingfish, which is which is the eighth track, yeah, it's about the governor of Louisiana from 1928 to 32, and then he was a senator from 32 to 35. Huey, the Kingfish Long, um, and he got, I believe he got assassinated in 1935 so that he couldn't go for re-election or something. I don't, I don't know for his next term, but, uh, so that's, that's Kingfish. It's about, it's about Huey Long. The song before it, Every Man a King, was, that, that's not his song. It was his campaign song. It was, I mean, it was, no way. uh, Huey. Yeah, it was Huey Long's campaign this song that real? they uh, that they wrote. Yes, yeah. I mean, and Randy <laughs> searched for the original recording. They tried to find the original recording, but they re-recorded it I themselves. Love <laughs> and but that song, "Every Man a King," that listen to that, and that is that's a song that was going to get somebody elected in that time period. Oh, amazing, dude! Amazing, the, like. Every mannequin. That's so funny because I was I was gonna be. I don't know. I was just gonna say, if you want to see someone go hard on the satire, you know, <laughs> this is a great representation of how far Randy Newman was willing to take it. Because this is some sketch comedy shit, dude. It's like some this sketch is. Comedy shit. <laughs> it's rough. It's very yeah. like. That's that's crazy that that was a real that was the real campaign. It was a campaign song. Kingfish was the governor 1928 to 1932, Senator 32 to 35. So this song was being written in the 30s. If this was your campaign yeah. song in 2022, you're not getting elected to anything. <laughs> well, actually, I don't know if that's true, but, you know. Uh, isn't that funny? But that's, that's ri- I mean, he's just totally, totally taking on the role at this point. He he did a cover of a campaign song. Come on, it's amazing. I just I just love that like the willingness too to like put that on the record. Like the last yep, the one of the last volumes that I did of I Dig Records was talking about this funkadelic record. America eats its young. Yeah, and that also just has so much good social commentary. And it's it's kind of crazy just to like think about, you know, 50, 60 years ago, these people were speaking out against the government in some way and, you know, doing doing some some hot button shit like Randy Newman putting this campaign song on there. You know, that had to piss a lot of people off when when those people on that side of things you know, kind of understood that he was actually making fun of them. He wasn't, 
putting it on to support them. That must have like pissed a whole different group of people off, you know? It's like people watching Colbert Report that didn't real they don't realize what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, going back to the rage thing, people not understanding what we're raging against. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, in and satire is such a I mean, I think you said earlier, he's kind of the king of satire. It's something that he's always done. A couple of these songs towards the end of the record that you might you might skip over if you didn't know they were, if you didn't know. Uh, I mean, really dig in with the subject matter. Um, did you listen to the last couple tracks, like A, a Wedding in Cherokee County, oh, I, I Back listened. on My Feet Again? I listened to the whole thing multiple times. It's, so the... <laughs> A wedding in Cherokee County is the daughter of a midget and a whore marrying a man who fears that she will laugh at his sword. And his sword, you know, is is uh, you know, is his wiener. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, but like the the lyrics today, we will be married, and all the freaks that she knows will be there, and all the people from the village will be there to congratulate us. I will carry her across the threshold. I will make dim the light. I will attempt to spend my love within her, but I will try with all my might. But though I try with all my might, she will laugh at my mighty sword. She will laugh at my mighty sword. Why must everybody laugh at my mighty sword? This guy has a real self-esteem issue about the size of his penis, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, right. It sounds like uh, he drives a nice sports car. (laughs) He's got a big truck. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. All the freaks that she knows will be there And all the people from the village will be there To congratulate us Now we'll carry across the threshold Now we'll make them light Now we'll attempt to spend my love with them Though I'll try with all my might the thing that gets me about it is that who thinks of that who thinks of that like we've all written about how beautiful our girlfriend is or whatever or like how bad this breakup was or how I was whatever I mean the things that normal people write about. Um, th- normal people don't write this. And, and Randy Newman doesn't write any other way, and he couldn't write any other way. Yeah, that's what makes it that's what makes it Randy. It's yeah. like no one's no one's telling the stories the way this guy tells stories. And I think everybody would sit around the piano and listen to him do it even if it was just him without any sort of accompaniment. Because he's just like, it's that compelling. My favorite uh, Newman recordings, there's three volumes out now, um, but it's just the Randy Newman songbook, and it's him playing all of his songs solo piano. And singing, of course, but it's just him, and it's... Um, it's amazing. Back on my feet again, which is the, uh, the second to last track before Roland, which we were talking about earlier, um, is Johnny Cutler's crazy brother who wants to be released from the institution. 
He's incarcerated. He's pleading with the doctor, and he's telling the doctor that his sister married a black man who turned out to be a white millionaire. But the but he dressed up as a black man to see if the sister's love was real. Then when she married him anyway, thinking he was black, uh, he said, "No, I'm actually white, and I'm rich, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna teach you how to do. Uh, what are the two things he says? Oh, I'm gonna teach you how to play polo and water ski, which are, I I think what he, I think he was going for like a stereotypical rich white guy sport. Yeah, like very privileged. <laughs> yes." You know, outdoor activities. <laughs> uh, but I just—I don't even know. It, it's as if he just has a dream or something. He goes, like, "You know what? I'm—I've got a story there." I, it's just kind of—I don't know. It's incredible. Yeah, it's his his imagination is is very much movies. You know, yep. it's just like these little short films or in this case it's it's kind of a a longer saga and you get to see these different chapters and not necessarily in any particular order guilty is one of my favorite tracks on the on the record yes we haven't talked about that beautiful arrangement here again strings are banging but this is also like you you get johnny cutler this guy's starting to uh, explore some of the guilt that's in his heart for maybe, you know, just his about his life and uh, the person that that he is, and you can yeah. you can hear it in the tune. It was very much. I think if you were going to like give every song on this album like a brother or sister song, I think it would probably go with Marie. Um, but it's really nice that it's the fifth song and they have Mr. President and he has Mr. President have pity on the working man in between Marie and Guilty because it's just kind of like a you need something between them because they're both very heavy but I think you're right he's, he's kind of um, exploring exploring who he really is and some of the negative things through self-pity and, and self-justification I'm guilty Baby, I'm guilty Now be guilty All the rest Of my life Hey everybody, just wanted to take a quick minute to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by North 45 Pub Located in the Alphabet District of Northwest Portland They've got a killer selection of Belgian beers and an extensive liquor wall with over 200 bottles. Muscles and Fritz are on the menu. Their cheeseburger is lights out, and they've always got some killer weekly specials as well. Aside from the menu items and beverages, they've got this awesome covered patio that is heated throughout the fall and winter with a bunch of big screens to watch all your favorite sports. And the best part is they have DJs playing tunes there every Tuesday night from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. and Sundays 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. So come through North 45 Pub for some tunes and some food. Let's get back to the episode. So with some of these older records, I always like like to see what else came out that year in 1974 so some of the big records that came out 461 ocean boulevard 
from Eric Clapton, which okay. that record is something I stumbled upon three, four years ago now and has become, as far as stuff from the 60s, 70s, that's been heavy in the rotation, something that I've really grown a liking to. I think that's that's probably my that's definitely my favorite solo build Eric Clapton record. And I'm not like I'm not like a, a huge Clapton person. I really like Blind Faith and Cream. But uh, as far as solo stuff, and I just kind of always uh whenever I go to different states, I like to when I go to the record store, I always like to try to get something from that that region. So when I was in Florida, in Miami, I got this 461 Ocean Boulevard record, which is where the album takes place. Yeah, there in Florida. So um, that one is is there from 1974, and then you got That's Bowie's Diamond Dogs, Joni Mitchell, Court and Spark, Stevie Wonder, Steely Dan. Neil Young on the beach, Queen 2, like, this is good, a good pretty God. hefty That's list. Action-packed year. <laughs> yeah, that, and this is just like a very small portion of it. Like, in the Randy Newman world, Jackson Brown's Late for the Sky. Yeah, just crazy amount of uh, good records that came out in 74. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that's like, that's like not, a, I, I mean, I've listened to a lot of Clapton records, but that's not one that uh, I've listened to start to finish. I know I shot the sheriffs on that one. Yeah, but which is not one of my favorite songs um, yeah. on it. But there's, uh, yeah, there's some, some killer jams on uh, 461 for sure. Mm. Um, I thought it'd be cool if we, if we played it out with some of your music. On, on this sure. uh, volume of I Dig Records, if that's all right with you, I've been uh, perfect. I've been digging into this this most most recent collection of tunes that you uh, you put out, and I know it's got it's got this uh, new version of Alibi, which I've always been a huge fan of that song. Um, yeah, but Thanks. what's up with this? Uh, what is this? Are, are other songs within the three or are those some older ones as well or is alibi the only one that's that's reimagined when it ends i initially wrote years ago but never finished it like i just kept coming back to it so fairly recent and then just once you notice me again is within the last year or two writing it um so yeah they're they're both they're both pretty new i think this one i like how how the how it came across in the recording like it sounds everything sounds pretty big in a good awesome. way awesome thank you yeah like it's uh it's cool to see the evolution of of a tune like alibi as well and hear it in its different stages of the recordings and yeah yeah i finally feel like i can put that one behind me now because I've, I've like the first way we recorded it was really cool but then after playing it live like hundreds of times after it was released i knew i couldn't let it go till we re-recorded it so i'm really happy with with how it is now 
Yeah, man. Uh, I'll we'll play it out with uh, we'll play it out with just want you to notice me again. Perfect. This is uh, this is maybe my favorite out of the three, and and I think uh, this this one represents and touches on like your ability as a storyteller. I think you know in that in that Randy Newman way. So I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. And uh, I'll definitely put all your your links in the episode notes so people can uh, keep up with you. And uh, yeah, man, thanks for thanks for bringing this this Randy Newman good old boys record into my into my life. This is uh, yeah, this I'm one so this one brought up this. a lot of uh, interesting conversation. Yeah, this is like um, definitely. I don't I don't think. Uh, I don't think we've done anything like this on any of the previous episodes of I Dig Records. So I'm glad we did something wild. It was so much fun for me and to, you know, go back and re explore the record. Um and I, I yeah, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do it. It's just uh <laughs> this was a ton of fun. Yeah, you're um big Bruce Springsteen guy, yeah? Yeah, I love Springsteen. I would love to do a Springsteen record with you sometime. Dude. Just because yeah. uh, I I like Springsteen. It's never been something I've gotten really heavy into. Greetings from Ashbury Park is probably my favorite that I know decent. Um, that was, so that was the first be, one. I'd love to like hear your your Bruce Springsteen takes and like for you to introduce me to like what your favorite Bruce is and like why why people should love Bruce Springsteen, you know, aside from all of the uh reasons that everybody knows. That, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. We should do that. So that'll be your that'll be your next appearance as a guest host on this series. I love it. I love <laughs> it. I'm in. Challenge accepted. Cool man. Well we'll play it out. We just uh want you to notice me again. And uh Big thanks to Distro Kid for throwing it down and helping with the the support of this thing. As always, I'll put that link in the episode notes so you can uh, you can get that thirty percent off the uh, the mm. Distro Kid services. There, Andy. Um, tell your friends wow. that uh, for the low price of under twenty dollars a year, you can uh, put up as much music as you want. There's uh, there's no limitations to it, and they've got all these uh, great tools to to help you along in, in promoting and sharing your music. And, uh, and they've been supporting this thing for like a while now. I, I feel like, I don't know, eight months or so. Distro kid has been supporting the podcast and that's really fucking rad. And, uh, I appreciate the hell out of them. And I appreciate you, Andy, for being willing to, uh, jump on the mics with me and, and, and do this goofy little radio show. Dude, thanks so much for having me. It was a blast. I appreciate you. <laughs> I want to be a Hollywood star. So when you're drinking with your friends, I'll be the poster at the bar. And as you finish off your lying glass of gin, I just want you to notice me again. They'll paint my picture up of Highway 17 So when your boyfriend drives to work He's thinking of me I don't mean to pry or get under your skin I 
just want you to notice me again But if I was in high places I'd have never let you down Hell, if I could find a roof I bet you'd still settle down Cause the time that stands between us Ain't about the riches or the fame I just want you to notice me Be a guru and write my own rules I'm Preaching how to live with just a few simple tools And as you try to find yourself within I just want you to notice me again Well, and you might see me in fancy magazines I'll tell my story how I got these glamorous things I swear to God, I won't try to rub it in I just want you to notice me again But if I was in high places, I'd have never let you down Hell, if I could find a roof, I bet you still settle down The riches or the fame I just want you to notice me again String the loophole in a capital offense And as you sit on the jury of an innocent man I just want you to notice me again I just want you to notice me again But if I was in high places I'd have never let you down Just want you to notice me again 